Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Douglas Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, and we have reached that point of the season where the Buckeyes are much like Buckeye Talk. Boring awesome. Awesome boring. I find this style of football very difficult to write about and analyze because my instinct, and I said it at some point in the press box tonight, is to just say, still good, and leave. But do you guys want to do that? Is still good enough of a post-game podcast, or should we elaborate? Well, I feel like in general, still good is not going to be sufficient for them to like continue to pay me and or pay for me to go on these trips. So we should probably pretend that it's more complicated than that. Okay, so we're just doing this for the money. To be clear... It's all self-interest. I mean, everything you do in life, for the most part, usually is for the money. I I said earlier tonight, in reference to something else we were talking about, that I would say anything for money. So let's lay that down right now. Nathan yawned. Okay, listen, it was 52 to (laughs) 3... We were 0% surprised by this. We told you guys in our picks that we would all take Ohio State minus 28, minus 27 and a half or whatever it was. And that was a very easy cover. I know someone appreciated that on Twitter and said they were going to, you know, it's legal. So maybe you made money off of our brilliant prognostications. Or if you did make money off of it, it wasn't based on us. It was based on the fact that Ohio State is playing really well right now. So let's, so let's just get right into it. Let's just jump right off to our tech subscribers. Again, 14 day free trial, four bucks a month. Try it. Cleveland.com slash OSU for more information. Is Ohio State ready for Wisconsin throwing you a breaking ball down the middle on this one? That's 614. That is a, I'm not even sure it's a breaking ball, right? I mean, that is an 85 mile per hour fastball at the belt. And, Maybe it means hanging a breaking ball. Hanging a breaking ball? Okay. So uh, there's a second question here that we can get to as well. I, I can't – I'm not sure if I'm going to find the right one. 
someone is worried a little bit about giving up some of the rushing yards early on, let's lay down the fact that Ohio State gave up 199 yards rushing today. I mean, 199 total yards. That was all that Northwestern managed. Let's go to the box score. They threw for 42 yards, and they ran for 157 and averaged 3.3 yards per carry. So I don't think the word worry can come in, should be uttered on this podcast. And I'll get to the specific questions later. But is there anything about the early game run defense that raised your eyebrows? I don't know. I mean, there have been multiple games this year where an opponent has for a series, for a few series, especially early in a game, had success running the ball. You know, uh, Miami of Ohio did it for, what, for like one possession. Um, came out and ran like some misdirection stuff and, and got Ohio State's defense back on its heels a little bit. You know, Nebraska did it for one series when it came out in some interesting formations and Ohio State had to adjust. But every time, I mean, you might stun Ohio State's defense a little bit, but every time they've answered. Um, as Justin talked about, Stephen talked about. No, no, no. No, no, no. It's the second time as tonight. Ju- I've as called Justin talked about. <laughs> as Stephen talked about in one of our post game videos tonight. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, I'm trying to compliment you. He, uh, talked about them being kind of like a, a boxer who, who counter punches, you know, these, they're almost sort of, you know, waiting for an opponent to, you know, put its best foot forward like that, and then Ohio State comes with a big haymaker in response, and then the opponent is just left kind of devastated, and that's what keeps happening. You know, you'll you'll see them a, a team get some success. Now, the, the difference being, I think Wisconsin could Wisconsin does have the personnel potentially to sustain that in a way that Nebraska, Northwestern, certainly Miami of Ohio weren't going to be able to sustain that kind of rushing attack. So, yes, Wisconsin has the personnel that could do that better, but I, I think that the the same logic still applies. I, I would see Ohio State probably having to make some adjustments against Wisconsin. Um, but let's, let's, let's remember, we've also seen some games where Ohio State just comes out and torches people right from the kickoff, too, basically. So, to be clear, Northwestern, on its first play, ran for 13 yards. They had an 8-yard run, and then on their only scoring drive of the game, where they went moved 44 yards and got a field goal, they had an 11-yard run, they had a 12-yard run, they had a 10-yard scramble by the quarterback, and they had a 5-yard run. And that is the basis of the questions we're getting yeah. about, like, oh, I mean, they ran... They they get they had three plays the whole night that gained at least ten yards. A Big Ten football team playing at home, a Big Ten football team that a year ago was playing for the Big Ten championship at home, had five good plays. Had five good. Uh, does the fact that Northwestern had five good plays make you worried about Wisconsin because Wisconsin might have eight good plays? I'm not making fun of you guys I, because because this is boring awesome. This is this awesome is, boring. This is what we're doing right here where we're yeah. trying to think of what we're writing I'm, for the morning. I'm going to make fun of Northwestern because my outrageous prediction was that Justin Fields was going to have more total yards than Northwestern's entire, entire offense. Northwestern had 199 total yards. 
Justin Fields had 202 total yards. Nice. So it wasn't even like he outgained him like 450 to like no. 385. It was like no, just like 200 to 199. Like a lower level game for him still out outplayed Northwestern's entire offense. Yes, yeah, like so. Yes, chill, I'm Justin gonna Field. yeah. Like so yeah. But no. we knew that North. So here's the deal: Northwestern has a terrible offense. They have a defense that can maybe muck you up for a little bit, but not if you have talent. And so they mucked up Wisconsin for more than a little bit because Wisconsin only really does one thing. And their thing is like power, and then Jonathan Taylor is good. Ohio State has multiple things, and they did some good things early that Justin Fields scrambled and made plays. They had a nice keeper on his own read with Justin Fields. And once Justin Fields... Was was breaking this defense in situations when the defense was doing good things, they had no shot. So we're gonna we'll continue to get it. We're not gonna look back very much. Listen, we're gonna have hopefully we might have two special guests this week for the Wisconsin Pod. We might go four hours. We got some things working. I, I'm very interested in bringing in some national context because again, we are Ohio State experts. We're not necessarily Wisconsin experts. I'm curious to have us talk to some people who have seen Wisconsin and understand them better than we do. Um, is the offense ready for Wisconsin from the 813? Is there anything that you would, you would be, we know again, we know Wisconsin's defense is very good statistically. Wisconsin's defense has not faced an offense. They held Michigan down. Michigan's bereft, defunct, incompetent offense. Michigan, they they played Michigan State, right? They played Michigan State. They shut out Michigan State. Michigan State, who also cannot do. So they've beaten, like, they have their, they had a lousy early schedule, and then they have two big wins over, like, quote, pretty good teams, but both of those teams can't play offense. So I think it's very possible that Wisconsin's good statistical defense is fraudulently, fraudulently propped up by the fact that they haven't played anybody who can do anything dynamic offensively. So the one thing that I think would maybe give you a little bit of pause is just what's going on right now at the tackle spots. But, I mean, Thayer Mumford being able to come in and play the rest of that first half tonight probably eases that a little bit if they can give him adequate rest this week. The one thing Wisconsin can do is bring those outside backers as edge rushers and potentially give teams some problems, come after Justin Fields that way. Um, but I, I'm i not overly concerned about that if I'm an Ohio State fan at this point just because, like I said, Munford was able to come back in, looked good enough. You would assume a few more days Maybe this extra day off is actually a help for him, um, just getting whatever issue he had. They didn't go into specifics, just I think Ryan Day called it a – what did he call it? Just in it – vaguely was like he had some kind of an issue that he was handling. So um, it, I assume a physical ailment yeah. of some kind. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, that would be the one wrinkle, I think, is just that can, can Wisconsin, um, especially that linebacker group, can they – put a new kind of pressure on Ohio State. As we saw Michigan State do it early in the game. I mean, to be honest, Michigan State did come out and fluster that whole Ohio State offense for a couple series right, before things really right got going. before the part where Ohio State gained 592 yards, exactly, yeah. exactly. they were flustered. I, but I'm saying, yeah. again, again, this is what I'm saying. It's there's the there are, there's a level of team that can come out and cause problems. We were talking about this on the car on the way, and I think we may have talked about it in the videos after the game. But like a you know a team can come out and cause Ohio State problems for 
a couple of series, Two a max. quarter, whatever. It's just a matter of will they run into an opponent that can sustain that for longer than that, and is Wisconsin that opponent? Uh, we're going to get into a lot more Wisconsin in the middle of the year. I mean, in the middle of the week, next week on Wednesday. But just to, to set some of this stuff up, the games have been close. I have noted that Ohio State is is 9-1 and one against Wisconsin in the last 10. The Big Ten Championship game in 2017, which is the last time they played, it was 27-21. 2016, it was 30-23. The 59 nothing Big Ten Championship win in 2014 is kind of an anomaly. I mean, yeah. it's an anomaly in the history of championship games. Yeah. They didn't even beat Northwestern 59 to nothing tonight. 2013, it was 31-24. That was an overtime game. 2012 was 21-14. 2011 was 33-29. Um, so, like, all the, the last one, two, three, the last six games, like five of the last six games have been a touchdown or less mm-hmm. other than the blowout in the Big Ten Championship game. The, the blowout in the Big Ten Championship game is what keeps sticking in my head. Um, but there have been some close games. But I also still think Ohio State's going to win 59 to nothing because we're in an awesome, boring period. I don't really think that, but I don't think it's going to be close. Someone asked, does Wisconsin cover the minus 11? Why or why not? Why or why not? And why shouldn't we talk about uh, that on a Friday night before Wisconsin even plays? We were kind of doing some videos. We do videos ahead. Because we do like three or four videos and we parcel them out over a couple of days. And Nathan was like, well, what if like Illinois kind of like, we don't know what's going to happen in Illinois, Wisconsin. We don't think, no one in the world thinks Illinois is going to beat Wisconsin. It's possible that like Wisconsin comes out and like plays one of those weird games where they win like 23 to 16. And then everybody goes, oh, is Wisconsin maybe not that good? So the one thing keep this in mind is Friday night. Illinois seems like it could be a team. I don't think it'll probably happen against Wisconsin, but... They're going to bite somebody, I think, this year. They almost bit Nebraska. They almost bit Michigan. Maybe those were their chances, and they blew it, and they won't. But it seems like they're the kind of team that there's enough underlying athleticism that on a given night they can maybe put it together and spoil somebody's year. But I, I don't think it's going to be. I think Wisconsin's too talented. Um, we also are trying to guess what the line for Ohio State Rutgers is going to be. Someone texted and said they saw an early line 45. of like 47 and a half. Um, so I don't know. Low. I don't know if that's legit. But it's just a podcast, so you don't have to have facts. Um, someone asked me where I would I would take Ohio State anything fifty and under. If if Ohio State is a fifty point favorite, I might think about taking Rutgers. It, it should be Ohio State minus W with W standing for whatever it wants the score to be. I, I, I agree. I, I, I said, all you're all you're doing is guessing on when the starters come out. And yeah. and yeah. maybe they'll come out at halftime. And if they come out at, if they're up forty two nothing at halftime, then maybe the second teamers, you know, maybe it's seven seven in the second half with the second teamers and all of a sudden it's forty nine to seven and you didn't cover your minus forty nine. So anyway, we'll have plenty more time to talk about that. My God. What are we gonna talk about Rutgers week? Awesome, boring, boring, awesome. Talk about robots. You're getting it, Steven. You are <laughs> you are coming around on this podcast. Ooh, that's um, let's try to do some rapid fire. We have like 100 questions. We're not going to get to them all. We're not going to go an hour on this. Uh, Nathan, you talked to him from the 3-2-1. Nicholas Petit-Frere was his outing okay. So I thought Nicholas Petit-Frere, I watched him really close on the first series, and I thought he handled himself okay early on in this game. I thought there was one play, there was a play where J.K. Dobbins got taken down for, like, no gain, and I thought MPF might have blown the block there or didn't didn't hold his guy up long enough there. Uh, but 
in general, I thought he was doing okay. There was a play where Justin Fields escaped on a third down scramble. Um, I remember you at the time kind of saying, oh, that's just a killer play. Like you can't, if you're Northwestern and you're letting that happen, then, then that's the game's kind of almost over at that point. And, and, and on that play, I thought Petit Frere had done a good job keeping his guy, um, pushing his guy out and away from the play and kind of opening that pocket for Fields to make that run. Um, I'm getting long on this answer. Um, so it was an okay game. I think it's a net positive for him that he got a start and he came in and there wasn't some kind of, Big disaster, necessarily. I do think he was exploited a little bit more as things dragged on, and that opened the door for Munford once he got loosened up, whatever, and was able to come back in. I don't think they would have put him in. Nothing was happening so bad that I think they had to put in Munford in order to win that game or keep Fields healthy even, probably. But I think they saw an opportunity. Um, there were some issues there. If Munford said he was ready to go, they put him in. And, and I don't think it's coincidence that you saw right away J.K. Dobbins cracks off a 68-yard run on the first play that Munford gets in. But it's at some point, Nicholas Petit-Ferrer had to get into a game in a high-leverage situation and play and come out of it with some kind of positive experience. And I think from talking to him after the game, especially because they won 52-3, to I think it was a net positive experience for him. But it is something he, think, it's something he needs to build on, not something he needs to uh, rest on. I, this is not a question, but just a curiosity. Like the first five minutes when it's like Ohio State did have a couple bumps and like JK was sort of stopped on a couple things and Northwestern did. For like five minutes, were you like, huh, maybe this is going to be a little closer? Like, oh, the long grass. No, and, the, oh, no yeah. the whole time I'm thinking, oh, this looks like what we've seen before. A team that's at right now at full strength, that's game plan for all these situations all week. They're coming out and their first string is giving Ohio State some problems. But once Ohio State adjusts, and once depth becomes a factor in the game, then everything slides in the Buckeyes' favor, and that happened again tonight. I think it looked like a team who had a new guy starting at left tackle and a team who hadn't played in two weeks. From the, the six, well, neither had they, though. Yeah, fair. But they spent all that time growing the grass. Yeah. Like, come on. The grass is so overblown. As someone think, who wrote a little piece about I think, the grass. I think, Nick, like, I think on one of those cuts, J.K. Dobbins slipped on the grass. Oh, I think, and I think some play, some other players are slipping too, but I'm sorry. It's called a home field advantage for a reason. Yeah. There's a billion advantages that Ohio State, almost literally a billion advantages that Ohio State football has on any given Saturday, Friday in this case. They, I'm going to let Northwestern have yeah, its grass. spent two weeks practicing on that grass. We had a very interesting discussion in the car about the idea of Ohio State playing Penn State and Michigan back to back to end the season that will lead to a very interesting discussion later this season. I would say um, it was actually a very interesting discussion in a Wendy's. Oh, yeah. Somewhere in northwest Ohio. Yeah. Did you guys find it odd that I got a salad and a burger and fries at Wendy's? It's I did. Wendy's. I did find that odd. It's Wendy's. I'm like, how are you going? First of all, how are you going to Wendy's and spending like $16 on yourself? Right. I thought that. <laughs> I couldn't believe how much it was. <laughs> it makes no sense. It was a bit tense. So this was the full order. I don't even care how long this is going to go. I'm the one who has to get up on half an hour of sleep. That's it true. was the buffalo chicken salad. Which is great. It was a double stack but with nothing, Correct. and only one not, uh, one piece of the bun. And I'm not saying I'm not saying nothing as in like no onions or no pickles. It was literally meat and bun, and that's it. That's how I order it to make sure they get it right: meat and bun. <laughs> it's half. And a bun. then and then fries, and then I believe an orange soda. Correct. Uh, diet barks root beer oh, diet with root vanilla. Beer. Okay. okay. 
That's actually a good choice. It was way. a lot of food. But yeah, it, it was essentially a mortgage payment at Wendy's <laughs> for lunch. I did think to myself, I could have gotten a steak for this. Of course, you, you get like a thirteen ninety nine, like uh, like Texas Roadhouse, like yeah. six ounce sirloin. Because you get the salad, it's like ah, oh, about a burger joint. I'll just get a salad and a burger and fries. It's like I kind of you went healthy, but then you didn't. Felt- and then and then he eats each half of the double stack with half of the bun. Yeah, like it's a like it's a bagel with locks on it or whatever. Yeah, well, it tricks me because it makes me think I'm eating two burgers then, and I think, oh, look at this, I'm eating two hamburgers. <laughs> The psychosis involved with Doug Lamarice's eating habits. Instead of just eating a double cheeseburger. No. A a double burger. No, absolutely pulling it apart and eating it as two separate burgers (laughs) is definitely a whole part of the equation. Couldn't you do that if there were cheese on it too? Though? No, but I don't like cheese on burgers. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. No, I, it's not. It's not a like logistical thing with the cheese. I just don't. I don't like cheese on burgers. Uh. Um, it's just one of those snappy post game podcasts, right? And get, it's fifty two to three, dude. It's, it's four but o'clock in the morning. When I tried to explain right I, now, so I have <laughs> mentioned awesome boring to you guys, sort of yeah. in passing before. Are you getting it? I mean, I've I've done this before in other venues. But but I will say, and no offense to Purdue basketball, a lot of times it's very difficult in non-conference in basketball because they're they're playing terrible teams on purpose. Right, but I'm saying like there was, I mean, just two years ago they had a 19-game winning streak that was through the bulk of the Big Ten season too. Um, In a very similar situation, like you so you hope that they struggle to a eight-point win against Rutgers, because then that becomes a crisis that you right. get to write about. That's not going to happen with this football team. No. And that's what's making it awesome boring is w- there's winning games, but then there's, like, winning games where it's, like, you can point out where the flaw is or even where, like, they always, they had to ink that one out. They're not inking anything out. We can't point out a flaw, so we're, like, nitpicking. I mean, at this point last year, you were covering an undefeated Ohio State football team. Right, but also their their defense wasn't very yeah, good. Yeah, you so can point to this. Well, right, right. Now we're that trying, was not boring. That's my no, point. Yeah, we're nitpicking things at this point and right. really like stretching how much we may, do or, may or may not know about football in order to talk about this. And it's always like, what are they working on? Because this week is always about next week. And when you win a game fifty-two to three, and and this leads to the next question, and we'll let you take this one, Stephen. Does this play against Penn State and Wisconsin? They seem to be the next tier of the Big Ten, maybe on the same tier as Ohio State. Like, if they play like this against Penn State and Wisconsin, is it good enough? Because that's when you play a game like this, that's the only thing worth thinking yeah. about. It is not worth thinking about what does it mean to beat Northwestern. You take this performance and put it against a better opponent and try to think, does it play? Does it? I think so, yeah, because of how it's happening. It's their defense and their special teams are setting up everything. They downed a punt on the one-yard line. Half-yard line. Ha- I'm sorry, yeah, on the half-yard line. And then Northwestern did nothing with it. And then they tried to punt, and it was like a shacked in a full punt. And they go score. Their defense against Nebraska, six plays in, they get an interception in Nebraska territory. And... I don't know if they. I don't think they scored on that first possession. But the fact of the matter is that keeps happening. Their defense and their special teams keeps putting them in the position where the offense has to do bare minimum, and it's why Justin Fields' stats sometimes look the way they do. It's because he's doing a lot with a little, basically. He's maximizing their opportunities that they, that are being created from special teams and defense. So yeah, I do think that this is something that be, can be continued against the best teams in the Big Ten. Is Jonathan Taylor going to run five yards? 
at a time and run for 200 yards next week. It seems like it was possible to run on the middle of the defense today. That's from the 2-1-0. I do think that there is something with the zone read a little bit and some of the way that you run that that can be the hardest thing sometimes. Um, I think defending up the middle is that, and we've seen that happen against other defenses against Ohio State. If you if you if you lean at all towards the quarterback as he's making an outside step, and you get out of position on the inside, a guy can pop up inside against you. And I've always said if you're going to run against Ohio State, you have to run inside because you can't try to get to the edge on them because their linebackers and their defensive ends and their corners are too fast and they'll chase you down. So I think if Jonathan Taylor is going to do anything on them, it's going to have to try to hit some stuff up the middle. And they have big guys, and they have Tyler Badass. What's his name? I call him Tyler Badass because it's just fun to say, but he's also a badass. He's like a great center. He's, but there's a Z in it, right? There's a it's Z like Badass. Is he a center? Yes. Okay. I'll learn more before next week or not. But so, like, they'll they'll move some guys, yeah. right? And we acknowledge, I mean, like, Chase Young doesn't play defensive tackle. It's not an, an insult to Jay Sean Cornell or Davon Hamilton or B.B. Landers to say, you're not Chase Young. So um, maybe they'll pop some stuff, but, like, they'll know they're going to do that. And I just think Wisconsin, Wisconsin's not tricking you. Wisconsin's being Wisconsin. And, again, that works against a lot of people, but I just think, Tough Borland and Baron Browning and Malik Harrison and Pete Warner are going to be in some of those holes. If Baron Browning plays. And I, I, I just don't – I don't think it's – I don't think that's going to work. I don't think that I mean, Jonathan gonna... Taylor is going to run five yards a pop because I don't think they have enough trickery in what they're trying to do. Well, they're not going to run the ball 70 times a game or 70 times against Ohio State. The other thing to remember is at some point, even if he's averaging five per carry, there's going to be the one series where he gets three and then one, and now it's third and six, and you still have to pass, and Chase Young is still Chase Young, and Jeff Okuda is still Jeff Okuda. This is still a superior uh, skill collection on defense as compared to Wisconsin's on offense. I just don't see any team being able to – any team on the regular season schedule – being able to sustain drives offensively. I mean, look at just, I mean, we're at the point of the season now where we can start, thank God, as an AP voter, I can say this. We're getting the point of the season where you can start to actually compare common opponents and things with some of these conference teams. I think Wisconsin had, was it under 250 yards against Northwestern? Yeah. And Ohio State had 265 at half against Northwestern. Right. And the Wisconsin game was in Madison, and this one is. In Evanston. Right. I mean, you start to be able to, I'm not saying, that doesn't, the transitive theory doesn't apply, but you, you can see it. I think it applies some. Yeah. But, but you don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, it's not a one, it's not an exact equation. Sure. But I think kind of what I wrote is what you're saying. It does apply. Like, you can see, like, Wisconsin had to really grind to beat Northwestern and Ohio State ground up Northwestern. Um, I like this question from the 415. Really, really good, or really, really, really good? Really, 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 really good. That's five. This is like the old uh, Colbert Report, where he would have like a liberal Democrat on and say, like, George W. Bush, great president or the greatest president? <laughs> this is in that tradition. From the 773, I waved at you, but you didn't wave back. That's my question from Charlie. I swear, I, I I apologize. I love waving at people. Like today? I guess. I, Charlie must have been here, and I apologize. Oh. Um, 
I am often so focused on doing my job to the absolute best that it can be done that I am just, I, I didn't see it. I'm an old man. I'm a doddering old man. I can't keep things straight. He was probably uh, wandering around looking for the tripod yeah. that someone had stolen, Allegedly. by which I mean Allegedly. it was exactly where he left. He just forgot where it was. Uh, Nebraska and Northwestern were both worrisome games preseason. We beat them by a combined 100 to 10. We are beating Big Ten teams by a combined 185 to 30. That's pretty good. My question based off this is, should Ohio State rest the starters until the playoff? 6-1 from the 6-1-4. I don't think people can tolerate any more discussions about us <laughs> talking about should Chase Young lock himself in his room until uh, You can't the beat Wisconsin with Ohio State's second string. You would not beat Wisconsin with Ohio State's second string. You would beat Wisconsin with you Chris chugging off. I think you wouldn't blow. Okay, hold on, hold on. It depends. Not quarterback. Okay. Not quarterback. Well, okay, but, but that's what we're talking about. So we're talking like, okay, wide receivers. And not, probably. you wouldn't. Offensive you wouldn't. line? Not offensive no. line. No. Okay. Offensive line. I don't think, okay. Then I, you can't rest the starters. You can't, you can't blow them out. <laughs> you can't beat the, so... Ohio State's second string would not beat Wisconsin. It would not be close. God, the new Purdue guy is so negative. <laughs> Ohio State can't beat a top 10 team with their second unit. <laughs> that's what, what we blasphemy. are. That's where we are. That's where we are. This is boring awesome. <laughs> it's team 52 to 3 today. This is what we're doing right now. <laughs> this is an interesting question that I think we can get into a little bit here. Because what else are we going to talk about? Dwayne Haskins was easily the best quarterback in Ohio State history. Would you rather have Justin Fields? Jordan and the 937. I've often it's like, because JT Barrett is the best quarterback in Ohio State history who was also like the third best quarterback on his own team. Like it is so <laughs> confusing. Yeah. And it's like Dwayne Haskins has done things, did things at Ohio State that no Ohio State quarterback had ever come close to doing, and I might take Justin Fields right now. Like, it's just, they're in this weird thing, and it's a, and it's part of what, I didn't really like what I wrote after the game. It's hard. I talked about the evolution of Ohio State, but it is, it is part of their evolution. Like, JT was really good for what they did then. Dwayne Haskins was really good because they created something around him that could work to his skills, and it was really good. Justin Fields is really good now because they're using his skills the best way possible, and he's taking all this in, and he's able to do it right away. But when Justin Fields – Dwayne threw it like a maniac, but Justin Fields is throwing it accurately. He's throwing it all over the field, and then he has the threat of the run that Dwayne didn't have – and it's like, even if Dwayne throws it a little better, like Justin runs a lot better. And you can see, we saw tonight, I mean, he, that, that, when he scrambles to throw, when he, when he keeps the ball on his own read and runs it, he just does things that Dwayne didn't do. Dwayne also was bing, bang, boom all over the field. So we're, uh, we get it. And, and I've complained sometimes this season about why do we have to compare? Why do we have to compare? And it's like, because that's what sports writing is. I mean, I get it. Like, this is, this is interesting stuff to talk about. Um, like, if I had one game, like, like one game to win with my life on it, I mean, I think I would always probably take a dual threat quarterback more than a guy who doesn't run very well because if stuff gets haywire, he can bail you out, but also he can function if things are going according to plan. So, you know, I, I don't think I would have taken JT at his best above Dwayne at his best because JT's ceiling as a thrower was substantially lower than Dwayne's. But Justin at his best versus Dwayne at his best, I feel like Justin's ceiling as a thrower is like close enough to Dwayne. 
that you probably would take Justin because he gives you that extra element. So it's like, yes, we've had like the greatest quarterback in Ohio State history, the greatest quarterback in Ohio State history, and the current guy might be better than both of them in his own way. And it's just because he can do both. He can do both things. So I think the one thing we have to keep in mind, we, we are talking a lot about um, run game numbers this year, and rightly so. They didn't run that well last year, but part of it was because it didn't fit with the passing. But part of it is they threw it so crazily well that they didn't have to run it as much. It wasn't like they moved the ball. The, the problem last year was not the offense. The problem was the defense. And we just had a long conversation that will lead to some interesting stories, I think, in the bye week that we'll, we'll just tease. But um, I don't think we want to backward. I don't want to dog the offense last year. Like, oh, man, you guys couldn't run it last year. It's like, you mean you couldn't run it while you were throwing for 477 yards? But there is more balance to this, and there is just more balance to Justin Fields as a quarterback. And I think, in a comparison, the ability to do everything can be like very attractive, right? The point that we were bringing up was that Dwayne Haskins had to throw for those yards, not because his running game was inept or something. A lot of times it was because the defense was inept. So either he had they had to play him longer in games to score the points necessary to win those games, or the defense is not putting him in as many advantageous positions as the current offense is getting put in by what may be the best defense in the country. So well, as you're comparing, the, just the overall point that I brought up was the, the yards are great, the touchdowns are great, whatever. Efficiency is the number one stat for Justin Fields. To me, I thought that from day one, efficiency was going to be the number one stat for him. And so did you, kind of, because we all kind of thought that this would maybe have to be something that he grew into over the course of a season. We didn't think he was going to be lights out from day one the way he turned out to be. But, I mean, he's one of the, what, like five most efficient quarterbacks in the country right now. Um, and he doesn't have to go out and throw for 500 yards a game. Yeah, I think the to get to, get to the point... Dwayne Haskins threw seventy-two passes in a loss. I don't like. I don't ever think Justin Fields will be anywhere near that. Has he thrown twenty-five? Is high. Right. I was going to say he has not thrown seventy-two passes in any three-game combination. No, this season. So I, I think that's where the like. To the the point is here. Dwayne Haskins threw the ball really, really well. He threw it a lot. Well, they needed him to throw it really, really well. They needed him to throw it a lot. They don't need Justin Fields to throw it a lot. They do need him to throw it well, but they, he doesn't have to do it nearly as often as Dwayne Haskins does because he has elements of his game that Dwayne Haskins didn't have. But also, the defense is better. It's it's they're so different. It's almost like not even well, it's like worth it's, comparing. Yeah, but. no, it's like it's like it's. I'm gonna give you a terrible baseball analogy. It's like the years where like Greg Maddox and Randy Johnson would both win a Cy Young. You and your old baseball pitchers. <laughs> They're not that old. They're both alive. I'm not talking about Christy Matthewson and Cy Young. The fact that you went, they're alive. <laughs> not that they're playing. They're I'm just not, alive. I'm not talking about a guy who got gassed during World War One, like Christy Matthewson. I'm talking about guys who you can like go. No idea. About it. Do you know who Randy Johnson and Greg Maddox? I know who Randy. I do. I do All know right. who they are. But Randy Johnson, Randy Johnson threw like so fast that he could just like obliterate a bird in midair, which yeah. happened. And then you got Greg Maddox, who was crafty and the, maybe one of the like smartest pitchers of all time. And not that he wasn't, you know, talented as well, but like two guys with very different approaches who got pretty much the same job done. They just get everybody out. 
teams don't score runs on them. So same thing in football. Like this is two very different approaches to how to be a quarterback, uh, partially because of the dynamics that are around them, but they're getting the same job done. They're scoring a lot of points. It doesn't really matter. Dwayne threw for like Dwayne threw for 345 yards per game last year. Justin's throwing for like 215 yards per game this year. Again, and that's not that's just a, a statistical fact that, that right. illustrates how they're doing it differently. When I covered baseball, um, Randy Johnson got traded from the Mariners to Houston when I was covering the Philadelphia Phillies, and it was the, I think his first start for Houston was going to come against the Phillies in Houston. And so everybody in Houston was going nuts, and they were selling all these T-shirts, and they had this T-shirt that said, like, the big unit, and it was just like a, a silhouette of him, like, with the flowing hair. And I just thought it was cool, <laughs> like, it says the big unit, it says silhouette of Randy Johnson. So I was like, oh, I'm going to buy a big unit shirt. So, like... I was walking around a mall in Houston like uh, the morning before a game and I like saw like the general manager of the Phillies and I was like a Phillies beat writer wearing like a Randy Johnson t-shirt. <laughs> Good call. I later said that that guy should be fired and then he yelled at me. So, uh, Is it Ruben Amaro? No, it was Ed Wade. Um, this is They asked on the telecast. They really must have been grasping for stuff. You guys, we don't watch it. We go back and watch it, but we're we, not we don't have the live. sound on. The TV's on in the press box, but the sound is not on. Yeah. So, like, we can see the replays and stuff, um, but we can't hear what they're talking about. They asked on the telecast, where would Ohio State's second team rank in the Big Ten this year? Which is sort of gets to what we were talking about. So, again, the issue is quarterback. If they had a, a, a recruited scholarship quarterback as their second-string quarterback, Tate Martell or Matthew Baldwin or if – Jack Miller or yeah. C.J. Stroud or somebody was already here. I think that would change the equation. It's very difficult. It's no offense to Chris Chuganoff. It's just like that's not what the plan was for Ohio State. But when you go through the rest of it, again, I think the offensive line would be an issue. But, again, like you're talking about second string. It's like, oh, like who's that's, your second string tight end? I guess I mean, it might the, be Jeremy Ruckers. That's still Garrett one of the Wilson best defenses the in the Big Ten, without question. I, I, they're a bowl team. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would say they're, they're in that, that middle of the bell curve. Where on any given night those teams can beat each other, they just wouldn't. It, you know, they would still beat Northwestern, but probably not ten out of ten times. What's their record right now? That's a good question. I mean, I guess they would like not beat Michigan State, and they probably wouldn't have won at Nebraska. Uh, Nebraska. I think they would have beat Nebraska because Nebraska but turned like, the ball. But over. Nebraska was a mess because it turned the ball over right. against an explosive first their team guys, offense. Right. What I'm saying is their guys. In the second team, who can cause turnovers? Defensively, I think they'd be okay. Yeah, they would, I mean, they, 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 I mean, yeah. we just also talked about how they're going to be in trouble next year if all three corners leave. So they'd be playing some young corners. They'd be okay at safety. They'd be okay if you said your linebackers <clears throat> and if, if guys are healthy. But if you said the linebackers for next week are Taraja Mitchell, Kayvon Pope, and Dallas Gant, like I think everybody would yeah. be okay with that. Yeah. Defensive line, you'd be okay. It's like, oh, you're going to play Zach Harrison and Javante Jean Baptiste and Tommy Togiai, yeah. and like you're okay. Right, BB Landers, whatever. I think I think you'd be okay on defense. Offensive line and quarterback would be the biggest thing. It's like, oh, we're going to hand the ball to Master Teague twenty-five times. That'll he took work. it seventy-three yards today. So they would probably beat all the teams that they're supposed to beat. They would just be more vulnerable to potentially losing to this, I, uh, to a Nebraska, of who to they even played, in Illinois or whatever. I think Cincinnati. I think would have been a tighter game, maybe. And Michigan. I, yeah, I, I look back on that and. I'm still not sure how they so thoroughly eviscerated yeah, Cincinnati. I think, I think Luke Fickle did a bad job that week. Yeah. I think Luke Fickle would say the same thing. That wasn't Cincinnati. Yeah. Cincinnati puckered. Yeah. 
I, all week and especially on Saturday. And they didn't allow themselves to even compete. And yes, Ohio State blew them off the field, but I think Cincinnati was its own worst. They were scared of their own shadow. Yeah. They so tried to make it not a big game that it became a gigantic game. Right. Uh, and they got in their own heads about that. So that's a game, and I think they lose to Michigan State as well. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. I don't know. I, like, the hard thing would be, but okay, so here, here's the thing, what it comes down to it, right? If you were putting Garrett Wilson and, I mean, I guess Chris Olave is a backup, right? I mean, if you're putting, I don't know, or, or Austin Mack, whatever you want to call that, and Master Teague and like Jeremy Ruckert or Rashad Berry or whatever, those are still like the most explosive offensive players in that game. Yes. I don't think Michigan State has correct, and, right? But but, but the but guy Ohio throwing State's them second string offensive line and the fact that like their quarterback that's a huge step down. Yeah, yeah. It still I mean, the quarterback thing. Is Michigan issue. State would have won that game. Yeah, that's what it, it's like. You can they be won that game and covered his. You can be an explosive wide receiver, but if the guy can't get you the ball, then it doesn't matter. I believe in Chug. Uh, Chip Munn, our guy, Josh Proctor played bullet ahead of, uh, ahead of Brendan White. We all saw Amir Reap in there. Yep. Like we've yeah. talked about it. We don't have an answer. I saw Brendan White after the game hanging out with his family. Uh, I, I feel for Brendan White, whatever is happening. He was in there on kickoff coverage, so it wasn't like a health thing because he was in there playing special teams, but they sure ran through a lot of guys it, 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 in at what looked like the bullet position before they got to Brendan White. And well, we can talk about it. We do not have an answer for it. We don't. But I'm glad you said it that way, at what looked like the bullet position, because the other thing that we don't even really have a grasp on is what Ohio State is doing with that so-called bullet position what it is to them at this juncture of this first season that they've done it. That's the other thing that makes this very confusing to try to cover, to even try to ask questions about to get the right answer, because sometimes when we think we know what we're talking about with in relation to that, you ask the coaches a question, and it turns out, well, no, that's not really what's happening there. And it's just been a very – I'm not even convinced that what they were doing at that position tonight had anything to do with Brendan White. Because look at the guys that they're putting there. It's it's really more like true safeties, and they've sort of already converted him to this more of a linebackerish position. It's it's very confusing. Um, from the three hundred two, very curious about the efficiency of the offense. Had some short fields, but throwing uh, twenty three times for less than two hundred yards and still scoring fifty two points is insane. It seems to me that this team may be more well equipped and resilient to a team selling out on stopping one specific player that they have like a multiple right. multiple things going on. We've sort of talked about this efficiency, but do you think do you think if they get to the playoff and if they if Nick Saban's dialing some things up and saying like, "Well, I'm going to take this away." How do you think this team would react to um a defense trying to sell out to stop one specific part of it, whether that would be JK, whether it would be Justin Fields, whether it would be trying to take a certain receiver away? I don't think that's the way that you're going to beat Ohio State. Like we we haven't seen Ohio State have to consistently go for long drives. Like they're getting these short fields and they're taking advantage of it, which is why you can have four touchdown passes and only 194 yards. Like you gotta you gotta keep that defense on the field, and even if you don't score, like you can't like be given Ohio you can't give Ohio State great field position and then th- think you're going to win the football game. It co- it's more of that than it is like taking away JK Dobbins as a runner or taking away Justin Fields as a weapon. Like you got to they got to feel like they have to put a long drive together in order to win a game and they haven't had to do that. From the 302, how much Wisconsin prep happened this week whether it was announced to the team or not? 
Um, I, I don't think it's about this week. I think they probably in the in bye, the bye week, week spent a lot of yeah. time on Wisconsin. And again, that's not players having to do that. Um, I, I don't know that they would have done much with the players this week and getting them ready. It is, it is, I mean, even though they had a bye week, it's like it's a Friday game. They're going to have an extra day to get ready for Wisconsin as a result of this. But I would think most of their self-scout, right? They talked about that. Their self-scout in a bye week. But I would think a lot of that was was trying to get prepped for coming up with something defensively for Jonathan Taylor and making sure they have a full understanding of the Wisconsin defense and how they're going to attack it. And I would imagine they have a pretty good idea about both those things right now. Um, if I give you 150 as the over-under on the combined score against Maryland and Rutgers, would you take the over? I guess that means that's... You're saying that Ohio State's going to score 60 points in both games and that Maryland and Rutgers are going to score a combined 30? I would take the under. Yeah, I'm taking the under. Because Ohio State's not going to score 75 in both those games. No. I'm not sure Maryland and Rutgers are going to score at all. We talked about this week about the idea of like trying to get a shutout again and stuff. Yeah. But like They're at that point where when they're playing teams like this, I mean, it would be a surprise for them to give up more than one scoring drive. I mean, maybe the scoring drive turns into six or seven instead of three, but I just don't know that, that a lower-tier team is going to move the ball on them twice. No. No, I mean, you saw it tonight. I mean, Northwestern got the one field goal, which they probably shouldn't have kicked. I mean, I don't know what they thought they were doing with the field goal. Like, what? what is that going to get you in the long run? They also punted from Ohio State's 45-yard They did do that. So yeah, like, I thought they were overly conservative. They needed to just kind of go. You had nothing to lose yeah. if you were Northwestern tonight. Um I know I agree. I, I and I think it's also you know somebody asked me tonight on Twitter is should you be concerned not not to usurp our uh, our, our our text uh, questions but asked should you be concerned about stamina this team doesn't have to play into the fourth quarter at all is stamina going to be a problem and I said well they're they're rolling so many guys at so many of these positions that, that I don't really think that's going to be an issue the one exception would maybe be the offensive line if they have to have offensive line stamina in the fourth quarter of a game right now is that do they have that compared to what that other team is at but um i have I, I, I guess one of those things like if you if they were playing to the 60th minute of every You'd game say, you would fatigue. say are you going to have stamp like are you going to be tired like yeah, I, right, there's right. a lot of there's a lot of smoke that gets blown yeah. um with good teams and stuff i i do legitimately think like their strength and conditioning program is very good Led by Mickey Marotti, and right. that, that it does put them in situations where I, I just don't, I don't know that I have ever seen it in since Mickey Marotti got here. That like you've said to yourself, oh man, that other team looks fresher than Ohio State. The rotation, as you noted, is part of it, but they're in they're in really good shape and they're really good players. I do think that Purdue game last year they looked a little bit waxed by the end of that game. That's a good but point. I think, but that was I think those circumstances were just different. That was just, that was a weird night. As someone who was in the opposite at the opposite end of the press box that night, that was a weird night. David from Cincinnati lives in St. Louis. Our rush defense wasn't exactly what it normally is. Again, three point three yards per game. I hope Barron being gone is the reason our rush defense is lacking in this game. It's a, l- a little unnerving with Wisconsin on deck again. Is there anything that you guys saw tonight that made you think, boy, like Ohio State should hope that Barron Browning is ready for next week? Well, I do think they have a better chance of beating Wisconsin with Baron Browning, but I, I would want—I'm going to want to go back and watch 
we're doing so many things as a game is going on that it's sometimes difficult to be real <coughs> authoritative on that down to yeah. the, like snap. Um, so I'll watch that again tomorrow or su- or Sunday and have a better answer. That what I'm my, the rewatch I'm writing this week will be about the run defense because that so directly plays into what Wisconsin's going to try to do. So um, both this game and probably even trickling back to the Michigan State game, look at the early part of that game. What could maybe correlate between what those teams did and what Wisconsin will try to do next Saturday? From the six one four, it seems like the offense is holding back. Um, not doing up-tempo offense, not showing as many looks these past few games. Do you think there's any chance they're just doing what they need to do to win? Um, yes, I do think there actually is a chance of that. And I think yeah, why, like, why wouldn't you just do that? You yeah, know, they, show, they show some things today. They, like some of the, like that, that, t- that touchdown cast from J.K. Dobbins, that was new. We hadn't really seen mm-hmm. oh, him run slant, around. Yeah. yeah, we hadn't seen him. Like, they're slow, like, I think you asked the question to Ryan Day, like, how much of the playbook does Justin Fields have? I think that's a prime example of, like, he's starting to open up the playbook to Justin Fields a little bit more every single week. I mean, yeah, you're not going to show everything when you're up 52 to 3. Like, also, you're not going to show it. But something you pointed out, Doug, and I, I hope people understand that there are things happening in this offense right now that look really easy and are not easy at all. Some of those throws that Justin Fields is making on those out routes um, from the opposite hash and things like that, and he's just darting it right into guys' hands, that is not easy. But it looks – we've just seen it now happen so many times. It makes it look really simple. And I, the real interesting question is, as we were talking about it, was if a team starts to try to take away some of those things, what else does it open up for this offense? And and they are so effective on those 10- and 12-yard outs yeah. that they just complete with these. I almost would try to try to start taking them away. And if it's a double move and you hit them deep, then, all right, make a harder throw and, and do right, that. Let's right. see you do yeah. it. But it's a pretty hard throw to begin and, with. And I'm just curious, like, again, for instance, we know Wisconsin is – I don't know how the Wisconsin defense can adjust to that. If you come out and you are a defense that takes that throw away and you're going to play – you're going to press up on the receivers – and not give anything underneath, not drop back in some kind of cover three, not give a look where where Justin Fields knows that throw is there, and then you're going to say, like, okay, that's not there, now what? I certainly think Justin Fields and Ryan Day in this offense has the now what, but we haven't had seen them go to the now what that much because that is – it is remarkable. That is one of the – and I've seen it with Ohio State time after time, year after year – one of the things that separates them is that they'll just run the ball, and you think like, oh, that was a that was a fine average run play, and they get seven yards, mm-hmm. and they throw the ball, and they think, well, that was just a pitch and catch, that was easy, and they get eleven yards, mm-hmm. and then somebody else, like the other team's offense, gets the ball, and the guy hits the hole and spins out and breaks a tackle and and dives forward and leaps over a guy and gets three, and a guy yeah. they run like a quick slant, they do like a thing, and you think, wow, that was. I think it's six. They don't go east and west a lot. You work so hard for your yards against Ohio State's defense, and Ohio State sometimes it looks so easy. And it, but the point is, it's not easy. But but someone, if you decide I'm going to take away those easy outs, easy in quotes outs, and then see what happens. But he makes that throw every time on target. There's not a rainbow in it. It gets there quick because if you don't throw that with some zip. That gets jumped and gets pick six sometimes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they haven't had anything really close to that. Right. Oh, but I do. I do think. 
especially the up-tempo. I think the up-tempo is there if they need it in crunch time. We haven't seen it much. I think Justin Fields' run game is there if they need it. We haven't seen it much. I do think there are things that it's like, well, if handing out to J.K. Dobbins is working, and if yeah, some right. of these little outs are working, why would we do anything else? We scored 52 doing this. Right. Yeah, why, why make it a higher-risk play, and why put something on film that another team gets to prepare for that they otherwise wouldn't need to. I also want to give some credit to the receivers on those out routes too. I think sometimes that gets overlooked too, but if those guys aren't running really crisp routes and kind of protecting the ball the way they do. Yeah, he's like real clean at those those back those back routes yeah. and all that stuff. And you'll we'll I mean honestly the comparison, the Browns through the first six games have run a lot of not crisp routes. And I do I, I note to myself sometimes of like, well that would seem like a sloppy route, even by Odell sometimes and it's like I see the Ohio State guys run better routes than that. Mm-hmm. That if you're gonna if you're if you're supposed to run seven yards and put your foot in the ground and turn make a change of direction, that's what you do. You don't round it off. You don't like kind of make it a little like lazy and a half yard short. It's like you hit right. your route and run the route, and then the result is oh that looked like an easy twelve yards. Uh, just a couple more from the eight five nine. Where would you rank Ryan Day among top active head coaches? So listen, I'm not going to put him. I mean, like you got to give Saban and, and Dabo their own level at right. the moment. Right. Um, and then Lincoln is like, you go there, you win a Heisman. So like, there's that. I would keep Lincoln Riley ahead of him. He's supposed to be yeah. Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley has done it for two years, made the playoffs both years. I mean, I mean Ryan Day is still only seven games, which is why, like, this is not. Like, I don't know if this is even I mean, a question can you, yet. Can you put him ahead of Kirby Smart right now? Um. No, no. Kirby Smart's recruiting really well. Um. I don't think you could put him ahead of him. I think you could put him in the same tier. Can you put him ahead of? I think Mac that's Brown? A, I think that's yes. an interesting conversation. Would you rather have Mac Brown or Ryan Day right now? Based on like the and this is like the even like the Urban Meyer conversation. Like the right now, Mac Brown lost it at the end at, at Texas. He did, but if if. If they had just hired Mac Brown from the outside and Ryan Day was the offensive coordinator of this team, they wouldn't be seven and zero right now. Well, that's and that's part of like the urban argument I've made. It's like, well, okay, the head coach himself doesn't have to be the world's greatest offensive right. or defensive innovator if he hires right. good assistants. Right. Um, he still have all the same players, except you know, depending on how much you think Ryan Day's presence brought Justin Fields here. I think the Kirby Smart thing is a conversation. I mean, I think the only ones where you – and then, I mean – uh, And I just said Mac Brown because I'm throwing out somebody who yeah. yeah, won yeah. at that level. Or just, Chip Kelly. Oh, I de- well, I mean, it, the funny thing is, it's like Ryan Day is, I is know, Chip Kelly my, Jr. And Chip Kelly, like – The sequel is better than the original in that situation right now. Ryan Day's Ryan Day's doing a really good job. Mark Antonio? I'd take Ryan Day. Yeah. It's a weird time in college football because, like, Dabo and Saban are so at the top, but there has been, like, Urban's gone. Um, like, Jimbo Fisher, like, has won a national title, but he moved schools. And, like, is he worth the money that Texas A&M's paying him? I don't know. Like, uh, Kirk Ferentz, has he ever had a collection of talent like what Ryan Day is coaching right now? I would take Ryan Day. Tom Herman. I mean, Tom Herman and Ryan Day are, like, the same guy practically. Um, but Tom, Tom Herman Tom's had more to rebuild yeah. at Texas. Um Tom's already lost twice this year, though. You know, I, I mean, Tom Herman looks like Tom Herman doesn't have Chase Young and and Baron right. Browning and Jeff Okuda and Justin. You know, like 
part of it of his own doing. But again, the hard thing with all the Ryan Day stuff is recruiting is, is the number one job of a head coach in an elite program. Ryan Day is doing a really good job of it. Um, this class is looking great, but he's winning with a lot of really talented players. Um, but I think like the schematic coaching and like the motivational having your team prepared coaching, I think is at a very, very, very high level. And if you want to tell me Dabo Sabin and Lincoln Riley are at one spot and then He's maybe Ryan, I, I, I think he would be in that, in that next tier. And whether that next tier is five guys or eight guys or 15 guys, you know, there's, there's nobody I would say for sure I'd take ahead of him. It, I'm trying to think. It does feel like a weird, like, it feels <coughs> weird to anoint someone seven games in to that level when they still haven't played. Right. It's anybody. Just, but like one of the guys we're putting on that label is a guy who's only done it for two and a half years and is the guy that everybody compares Ryan Day to. So it's like, well, Lincoln Riley, when did Lincoln Riley join? Like everybody in, in college football will put Lincoln Riley in the top five right now. I think when, when did he ascend to that spot? I think when he had two back-to-back Heisman winners. So two full years of like great first year. And by the way, you lose your quarterback and you follow it up and you do it again. Yeah. So. Right. And, and I, then you go get another guy, and you're doing, guy, it, and you're and you're doing, doing it, again. it again. And I think that actually is a very important point of all this. It's your, it's your second quarterback. To me, whenever yeah, that's, it's that's that, a fair, yeah. that like next year will be Ryan Day's second year, but you still have this guy that you believe in, that you know can do it. The second quarterback that you've had to recruit, that you've had to develop, that you've had to establish a relationship with. That is always a test to me because sometimes it can be like, well, was it the coach or the quarterback? I was like, oh, that quarterback really made him look pretty good. And then the next couple guys weren't as good, and all of a sudden we think of the coach in a different way. I saw Joey Kaufman from the Dispatch uh, earlier this week tweeting about a Coach of the Year award and pointing out that Ryan Day – at first it was like, oh, Ryan Day is not one of the 32 finalists for this award. And it turns out that first-year coaches were not eligible for that yeah. award because it's more about – because I think they, they put in that caveat that like, well – you're a first-year head coach, but you didn't do half or more of the job that resulted right. in what this team is. Uh, how's it feel being back, being back at Northwestern from the 740? Uh, I don't follow Northwestern football. I don't care about Northwestern football. I do love my alma mater, and I like being back on campus. It makes me happy to be back on campus. We didn't get to spend that much time, but I did give the guys a little tour, a little Dougie tour. Saw my sophomore year dorm. Wasn't that exciting? Mike Leach, Nick Saban, or somewhere in between. Which press conference personality type do you prefer? Like Nick, like sour or nuts or in between? It's like I guess I would pick in between. I've been in a Saban press conference before. It was, it was kind of fun. Like, really? Yeah. Like he's not Saban's not Saban should not Saban. Times I think gets equated with Bill Belichick. The idea and of Saban is actually like. This thing of its own versus what he actually is. Right, yeah. I don't think he's... I've seen press conferences from him where he gets kind of animated and he goes off on some tangents or and when, things. Yeah, or when Maria um, Taylor asked him the quarterback situation and that's like the 90th time he's been asked that question. Like, that's yeah. not... Well, I mean, it, it, being a prickly pair once in a while, I mean, we're all prone to that. Yeah, we just haven't seen Ryan Days yet. The leech thing is fun in the middle of a week sometimes... And at the end, you know, you see these viral things that people put out if somebody asks him about, well, if you had a battle royale of all the of, of mascots in the Pac-12, who would come out ahead? And he goes off on like an eight-minute tangent. Yeah. That's, 
that's fun, I guess. But like on a game day, sometimes when you like need to really cover the team, and they just had that game where they lose sixty-five to sixty-four against UCLA or whatever. I, those guys aren't usually that great in those scenarios. I remember, you know, um, Tim Miles uh, when I was covering basketball. Tim Miles, the, the Nebraska basketball coach, was always a great guy to talk to on the teleconference and at Big Ten Media Day. And kind of goofy and fun, but then when he goes and gets when he gets beat by seventeen at home, not that fun. And so it's somewhere in the middle. I think is probably the answer. I think Saban's style is winning championships. So I'm going to go to Saban. But that's not the question. The question is not how good of a coach he is. It's the press conference you won. It's, it's all goes together. Would you want to cover Bill Belichick, who has won more championships than anybody, and seems like a freaking jerk? I would not want to cover him if he is the way that I. It seems like he is. So you can't even ask him normal questions about his team without him being a jerk to you. I mean, honestly, it's hard. Harbaugh has won ten games a year at Michigan. Like you can't have a normal press conference with him. I mean, Day is kind of an example of what you want a little bit. So um, I wasn't pull a here, more out of him, but yeah, yeah. So, I was Yeah, you do have to because I think I mean he's a first year head coach. Though. Yeah, yeah no, I agree. so I think that I think that plays in. I think his comfort level is going to grow okay. over time. But if you watch a press conference with him, and you should because we put up all the videos. For every time we ever he ever opens his mouth, but it's, it's he do. he is very kind of matter of fact, but not in a um, a boorish way or like he's trying to trying to shut you out. I think he's just trying to. He's a very analytical guy, and I think that comes across in his answers a little bit. And once in a while, he kind of cracks a smile, and you can get something approaching an anecdote out of it. Once in a while, Doug will ask a question. <coughs> go, You're all, I can always count on you to ask one of these questions. It's our New Hampshire bloodlines. Um, you know who is really good? Urban. Like, really, like, like the Urban Meyer that, like, national people are seeing, like, on TV and stuff, that's kind of how he was with us mm-hmm. a lot. And he would talk about recruiting. And if you had specific questions about players or position groups, he would be critical if he thought that that group needed to be to play better. Um, he was really good with us. I do think if I covered Mike Leach and I was trying to write a story about the left guard and people act, uh, talked, asked him, like, what's your favorite pirate costume? I would be like, could you shut yeah. up and stop pandering to ESPN and let me cover football? Well, yeah, and sometimes it those guys, you can tell that now it's the attention's on them. They're trying to, like, do a routine or something like that, and that's not. It's better if you ask a question to a guy who's just a little bit more unfiltered. And he'll go off on tangents or, 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 I mean, kind of extrapolate. And maybe there's some wit in there, some kind of, you know, folksy whatever. I think Joe Tiller was kind of like that, um, not to, at the risk of bringing up Purdue again. I didn't really cover him very much, but that was kind of, I think, his persona back in the day. Um, but, yeah, sometimes, and, and to go back to Tim Miles, that kind of got him in trouble at the end in Nebraska where he said some flippant things and they got turned around on him. And when you're losing, those things tend to to – roll downhill and accumulate pretty fast and can, can get you in trouble. So. I think if a coach is honest and is willing to explain their thought process yeah. or explain what is happening with their team, I think that's all you can expect and that's that's what serves. And it's not about serving the media. It's about serving the fans um, through the questions that we ask. But, um, but Urban was really good. Let's end with this because we already went over an hour. It's been a while since you talked about pizza. Did you have any deep dish in Chicago, Steve, no. in Atlanta? Sadly not. No, so here's didn't. the deal. It has changed my life that they opened a Giordano's a mile from my house. That yeah. there's one in Columbus. There's one in Ohio. We have it's, one in Indy. It's yeah. in Columbus. 
And it's not only in Columbus, it's in my suburb, and it's not only in my suburb, it's like a mile. I could run there. I thought about having like some kind of thing where I live right next to a high school. It's like you'd start at the high school, you'd like run to Giordano's like a mile, like eat pizza, a, a minimum amount of pizza, and then have to run back. And like that would be the race. It would be like running and competitive eating combined. Which would just lead to puking. Oh yeah, I was saying it's gonna, great. It's going to be like when uh, Michael Scott ran the five k and he was carbo loading with the fettuccine alfredo like yeah. right before the race. No, that I mean, wouldn't you do that? I would like to see if I would puke or not. We don't need to talk about that, but no. I, that's the but that you, you would you would uh, no, for sure I would. But I used to because again I went to college in in Chicago and and I loved. Chicago style pizza, it became like a, every time I was in the city, I would eat it because you couldn't eat it somewhere else. Right. And now I can literally eat it every day. We ate it the other day. So I'm not going to eat it on this trip. And it is like the complaint that I have a lot about things. When I was a kid, there were like four hard rock cafes. And if you got to go to a hard rock cafe, it was a big deal. Hooters used to be a big deal. Really? Yeah. I mean, I mean, like, go back. there used to be things that were rare. If you and now back, they're everywhere, and then they're not as really, special. I never really got into the Hooters. Thing. If you go back like three years ago, I would have to come to the Chicago area when I lived in central Indiana. You'd have to go to the Chicago area to get deep dish pizza, to get um, like really good Italian beef and stuff. You had to go all the way to Pittsburgh to get like Primanti Brothers and stuff. Well, guess what? Now in downtown Indianapolis, you have Giordano's. You have a port- two Giordi- Giordano's, and you yep. have... You have Portillo's, you have Permani Brothers, like it's some of those big, those regional things are starting to get more national. So in, let's end with it, do you, how much do you guys like Chicago style deep dish pizza? I love deep dish pizza. I prefer deep dish pizza. You prefer deep dish pizza to New York style pizza? Yeah, yeah, easily. I like, see, I like thin crust, but that's not the same as New York style. New York style is its own like. Triangle. Yeah. Normal pizza. I, I find New York. Pizza to be kind of overrated. Eh. I love both, and I feel like I can love both because they're so different. It's again, they're not even really the same thing. I mean, well, deep dish pizza is sauce, a casserole. It's, yeah, it's not food. A pizza. It's food, <laughs> but it's it's amazing. It's, but it's not a not... snack. It's food. Yeah, you can't like grab a. I love grabbing a slice of New York style pizza. You can't really like yeah. grab that's, a slice yeah, of Chicago style no, pizza. No, that's your dinner. That's Although if you're eight. in Chicago, go to the Art of Pizza. You can get it by the slice. It's one of the best in town. But I will say it was weird that when I when it was only in Chicago, every time I ate it in Chicago, I would eat it until I was sick. And Which so, is like two slices, by the way. I could eat five. Um, I could eat a whole deep dish pizza. Not a whole large, not an eight-slice deep dish pizza. I've done it. No. All right, now I want to see it. That's a challenge. Yeah. Okay. Are you like, okay. A large that you would order for like three or four people you could eat by yourself in one sitting? It, yeah, like, like if we're going to be there for like 90 minutes, two hours, yeah. Next week's Buckeye okay. Talk. It's a mile from my house. We'll have it there. All we'll right. Have, we'll have, Zach Harrison's uncle works there. We'll have a large pizza yeah. for you. We'll Just share me. one, like adults with dignity, but you can oh, eat your entire pizza by I'll yourself. Eat. It is a thing when you are a young person with a metabolism. I yeah. remember when I had a metabolism. Oh, it's, Yeah. So my brother and I, I got a brother that's four years younger than me. And we would go like, to buffets and just put a hurt on the plate. Yeah, I just won't eat that day, and then we'll go there, and that'll be like my meal for the day. Okay, we're gonna do it. Well, they'll let us record in there. They used to be very busy when they first opened; like you couldn't get in there. Oh, yeah. They're not that busy now, so we could go in. 
on a on a Tuesday afternoon. All right. And and record a podcast for two hours, and they probably wouldn't even bat an eye. We could record the first forty minutes while we're waiting for them to cook the pizza. We're actually going to do this now. Yeah. Um, all right. Listen. Yeah. Wednesday morning. We Wednesday, will, uh, Wednesday morning. Wednesday lunch. Oh, I'm about to say morning. That's we will um, have a midweek podcast for you guys with much more about this Wisconsin game. It was 52-3. to They have Rutgers and Maryland left. They're going to be blowouts too. We're just not going to spend much time on those games because um, they're not worth it. And we're not learning a ton about Ohio State that we don't already know. Because we, I think we have a pretty good handle on this team so far. I think th- there's always a chance to be surprised, but 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 I think it's it's – I think becoming it's, clear who they are and what they're about. The best thing for the Big Ten is for this game next Saturday to be a good game. Because if it's not, if if Ohio State wins that game 52-10 to or whatever, now that's the expectation for the Big Ten championship game, too. Because that's who they're going to play. I don't believe that. I but think. It, but, I mean, but as far as like expectations and stuff, it's like if they win out, they're in. And even if they lose one along the way, but they win the Big Ten championship, I'm just saying, probably it. Yeah, for Ohio State's getting it. Ohio State will get into the playoff in that area. I'm just saying that it 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 sets up. It just makes it more fun for the casual fan. I'm not talking about Ohio State. Fans, oh, just but if it's, it's uh, better for college football and better for the Big Ten if this is a game. On then Saturday. if if it's not like welcome to the Big Ten championship game, these teams met right. earlier this year and Ohio State won forty eight to six. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's fair. No, that's just, just from just yeah. from an enjoyment standpoint. I mean, if I wasn't if I wasn't covering Ohio State and I saw that they had, I, I wouldn't be watching that game I after want, they had already beaten them by forty five points. Yeah, I just want one competitive game. I will say, just I mean, one. we did have the question about like the if there is some early line. I don't know. Someone referenced a minus eleven if Ohio State's an eleven point favorite. I don't know. We were guessing in the car. We guessed eight, nine, and ten as lines on the way up here. Um, so, like, 11 certainly wouldn't shock us. Um, I would take Ohio State with that. I mean, like, I, I, you know, we have I a whole too. week to write it's about just... this. And we have and Wisconsin, we don't know what they're going to do on Saturday. What but... line would you not take Wisconsin – or would not take Ohio State in the points against Wisconsin? 22. I'd still take them at 20. <laughs> Anything but... over, like, like 21, 35, 21 and a hook, you'd take 21 and a half? Yeah, 21 and a half, I'd probably. I mean, it's one of those things where I take it. It's like if I had to bet it, I'd probably take Wisconsin at 21 and a half. I, I've, if I had a choice, I'd stay away. I'd be confident betting Ohio State probably up to 21. Anything like between 21 and a half and, and 30, I'd probably stay away. And then maybe if you gave me 31, I'd take Wisconsin. I'd go 17. Yeah, I was going to say, like, if it was a 34 to 17 game, that could still be a pretty convincing yeah. game. Yeah. And with a late Wisconsin touchdown or something like that. That's the yeah. other tricky thing in a game like this. That's and again, I just read all the scores yeah. that were seven point games, six of the last seven years. Yeah, so like so. they've been But like like the there. Wisconsin like the Wisconsin uh Michigan game was thirty five to fourteen, but it wasn't. It was thirty five yeah. to nothing. And then the second team. But let's remember that it's kinda of weird. They have not played in the regular season. They played in the regular season um in two thousand thirteen. And then did not play in the regular season in 14, 15, 17, or 18. So this is only the second time in six years they played in the regular season. They've played twice in the Big Ten Championship game right. since then. Um, but this is a new, you know, this has been a while um, since we were seeing these teams face off in the regular season. All right. Boring, awesome, awesome, boring. Those are your fighting Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, a to B. A to B. B to A. Ch- <laughs> That's right. I've heard that. Um, <laughs> Twitter at Stephen underscore means at NW Baird at Doug Lay Maurice. Um, try the text 14 day free trial, four bucks a month. Read our stories at cleveland.com 
slash OSU. Drop an iTunes review. Certainly would appreciate that. And um, we'll get back to you guys on Wednesday. We might, we've might we been recording on Tuesday afternoon and evening and getting it to you like at 5 a.m. Saturday morning. We might start recording on Wednesday morning. We might start recording on Wednesday morning or afternoon. So you'd be getting it more like Wednesday afternoon or Wednesday for a drive home from work. But you'll still get it Wednesday. We're just trying to figure out our workflow because we got to write stories on Tuesday, especially in big game weeks. For now, in the middle of the night, for Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Dog.